Ah, there I am. Hi. All right. You're all welcome to turn on your cameras if you want. Everybody can see you. Or if you plan on falling asleep during this presentation, I highly advise you don't do that because that happened last month, I think. Somebody, I was so entertaining that I put somebody to sleep during the presentation. That was a boost to my ego. I promise you that. All right. Let's see. Good, good, good. One o'clock, ready to rock and roll. Got about 28 on right now. I think uh, August, uh, <clears throat> back to school and all the stuff. We always have a little bit lighter. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little lighter today. Uh, but we'll get rocking and rolling. Today, uh, we are going to talk about how to discover um, the superstar concept, right? So the title is Discover How to Create Superstar Staff Employees That Will Set You Free. I'm all about freedom. If you haven't figured that out by now, uh, my goal, my primary aim in life is to be free. Uh, my primary aim for my clients is to show them how to be free. There's lots and lots of ways to be free. Uh, you can even have your freedom without staff, uh, which is another reason why we will only attract a certain type of attorney to today's call because uh, there are a lot of attorneys who don't have staff and don't want staff, and that's okay. Um, but we're going to talk about uh, even some advanced stuff at the end, when, even if you're a small and solo and you don't have staff or you don't know if you want staff. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too. Um, but you know, if, if you're a small and solo and you're on this call and you don't have any team members and you're not sure if you want any team members, just, just know that you can create freedom um, to, uh, uh, with a small and solo practice, even though you're doing all the work. Um, th there are three keys to that, and, and I'm not teaching those today. That's not what this is about. Um, but the first is to make sure you get your pricing right. Uh, you have to make sure if you're going to be a specialist in a particular area, and I don't mean board certified, and you're going to keep it small and keep it all, you've got to price yourself at premium prices, like you know, 30, 40, maybe 50% higher than the average market value. Um, so that you can afford to schedule in free time for yourself, either it be every day, every week, every month, every quarter, so that you can take that time and close down the business and the machine will stop, um, but it will stop uh, and you're okay with it because the income you make the rest of the time of the year matches up. And then the, the, the third thing that you need, uh, so the first one was pricing, the second one was a schedule of freedom, and the third one um, is a discipline. A discipline to stick to it. So uh, you really need rules that you're going to um, adhere by. Like um, I won't take clients outside of this circle geographically. I won't, uh, you know, meet clients in their homes or their businesses. Um, I will only take this type of case. I won't say yes to other types of cases. And so you've got to develop a stream of disciplines so that you can just do one or maybe two things really, really well. Be the very best at that and develop a whole bunch of no's you're gonna to say to yourself. So, so now that's out of the way, um, if you're a small and so like you have nobody else um, and you're you're wondering like, why is this relevant to me? Uh, I'm gonna, the things I'm gonna share are definitely gonna be relevant to you. Um, but, but I would say that if you're thinking about, boy, should I make my first hire? Or you have 50 employees, um, this is gonna be a very relevant conversation today. Um, and, and we'll talk more about why in a second. All right, good. Numbers starting to bump up here. I'm excited to keep going. So let's let's talk about this a little bit about what we're going to discover today. So today I'm going to talk about the single secret 
uh, to hiring your next thoroughbred team member. Um, and uh, so the second thing we're going to talk about, and they go hand in hand, is how to avoid hiring donkeys and what to do if you currently employ them. Now, if there are team members on the call um, that you know, you're a member of a law firm team, you're, the owner has invited you to come, um, know that they already believe you're a thoroughbred. Um, they don't believe you're a donkey. And if you are a thoroughbred, you fully know that you don't like hanging around with donkeys. It's just, you don't. If you, if you like what you do, if you work really hard, if you want to get better at your job and, and master your skills, you don't want to work with a bunch of people that drag you down. You just, you just don't. I don't. And I can't imagine you do either. We all have to, we're going to be at work eight hours a day, there and abouts, and we want to work with people who are driving us forward. So we want to talk about how to avoid hiring uh, donkeys, so the right way to bring them in. Uh, and then we're going to talk about, you know, the existing staff that you have. Sometimes we have folks in our business that uh, we think are donkey, but it's not really the case. We're, we're actually asking a cat to be a dog. We've got the wrong person in the wrong job. And we're talking about how to identify that too. Now listen, I, you need to know that I do two modules on this topic, two, like two full modules in my Your Practice Mastered program. So we could do this for days. I did a full day on this in one of, well, in a couple of my presentations at Partners Club for our Partners Club members, and I didn't even scratch the surface. And so in an hour, um, I am not going to scratch the surface, and I'm going to do some things that are going to happen really quickly. So what I highly recommend you do, uh, is that I always talk at you know 250 words with occasional gusts up to 500 anyway. Just take some notes, and I'll answer as many questions as I can at the end. Um, if you are in my world, you have access to the modules. You can go through and listen to module nine and ten, and I unpack pretty much everything I'm going to say here today, with with the exception of some revelations I may have had since I made that program a decade ago. But really, not much has changed. Um, and and if you don't in our if you're not in our world and you're a guest here today, um, you, you just you're going to need to schedule some time with us to, to get some more information because we're just not going to be able to cover it all in an hour. But I'm going to do my best to give you some real nuggets on what you can do if you're either in the hiring phase, thinking about hiring somebody, or you're adding new members to your team, or you've got a team of people and you're struggling. You know, I got an email the other day, and I won't mention his name, but, you know, he said, uh, he said I sent out that email that said, are you frustrated with your team? Are you frustrated with your staff? And, and he came back and said, you know, I had, I had whatever six employees and four of them quit in the last three weeks. Um, something's wrong, right? We either hired the wrong people um, or we've got a management problem or we've got some systems problems. And so hopefully today some of this information I'm going to share with you will help cut through that and avoid you having to struggle with those uh, situations. Um, so let's, let's keep going. So hold your questions until the end, please. Uh, I, I took put everybody on mute. We're going to keep it that way. Um, if you have a chat, you can always chat in there. I'm happy to I'll, I'll keep an eye on it. I got it open. Um, I'll do my best to address it. So if you've got something as I'm going through, don't hesitate. Send it on. If I can't get to it, then I'll get to it at the end. And if it gets buried, just bring it back up at the end. All right. We're, we're live playing with live fire today. Live ammunition. This is uh, rocking and rolling. And I want to make sure that I give it as much justice as I can. So uh, as always, we talk about this journey from chaos to freedom, right? And so this is how I view a law firm. Uh, in most cases, when they start to see me for the first time, where they are now and where they are three years from now will largely depend on the things that they do to affect the systems in their practice. Systems run your practice and people run your systems. Today, we're going to be talking about the people. And the way that you go from chaos to freedom is by having the right systems and the right people to run them. They're not mutually exclusive. 
Um, the goal is to do something. And if you do nothing, you will have the same as you are right now. And if you do the right things, you'll move from wherever you are to freedom. Uh, and, and that usually takes about three years. I have seen people do it in less. Um, and, you know, usually what happens is they're in chaos. That means they're in debt. Uh, they work seven days a week, at least some part of every day. Um, and they've got no time, no money, and no plan. I mean, they're oftentimes they're really struggling. They're, they're in case. Sometimes they have money, and I, I would say that that's the exception, right? So they have, there are, are lots of attorneys that could be in chaos, and they have money. They're making more than the poverty level. Some are doing really well. I've met attorneys that are making three or four or five hundred thousand dollars a year, but their life sucked seven days a week. Um, Never, never take a vacation at all, let alone without their cell phone or their laptop and uh, never get home in time for dinner. And if they have kids, they don't see them. And oftentimes it ends in divorce and they wonder why. Um, insanity is the next level up where we're doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Um, we're living month to month, you know, so oftentimes it's payroll to payroll. Um, we're working six days a week. Um, we, we're lucky we get a day off to rest, but we're still, you just can't seem to break free. And we don't profit, like the profit that we make is really the draw that we take. So we're not actually measuring our business in a profit basis. We're measuring it in a, in a uh, you know, kind of what do we take? My, my grandfather's old way of doing things. I have this cigar box is my receipts and this cigar box is my income. And when my invoices or my receipts are gone, whatever's left in this cigar box is what I've got left. And it's kind of how my grandfather raised me uh, to run a business. And while it worked in a really small level, it, it is the definition of insanity. And I watched that man, even though I didn't know it back then, I watched him really, you know, die with his boots on literally at age 73. And, and, um, and while I think he was happy, I'm pretty sure at many levels he was frustrated and miserable. Um, if you do nothing, you'll have no change. Uh, if you want a healthy business, that means your staff runs the business. So your systems run your law firm and your staff run your systems. And uh, you work five days a week, you know, you're there, uh, the business still kind of needs you, you fit a role inside the business, uh, and you have profit, uh, you, whether that is a 5%, a 10%, a 15% profitability, whatever it is, you have a healthy business. Um, you can keep, you know, um, uh, 15 to 20 to 30% total owner's benefit in, in that bottom line uh, that, you know, of what you receive from your firm because you're still working in it actively. Finally, uh, freedom, you know, you got a half million dollars in liquid assets. Um, that's not enough to retire on. I've said this before, but uh, it means that you've got, um, you've got access to half a million dollars in liquid cash. And, and, and listen, having lost everything uh, once, it only happened once, I lost everything. I, I, I was poor one time, but that was before I had anything. I just kind of stayed poor. Uh, that was in the early days, in my, in my late teens, early 20s. But having made, you know, millions of dollars in, in gross revenues and kept a whole bunch of it and, and built up a nice uh, nest egg and having lost all of it, I can tell you it's really hard uh, to acquire liquid cash and, and having it, again, um, I promise you is something I protect significantly, especially at age 48. Works three days a week, um, passive income. So, um, you know, I... I take, you could also say takes a month off. You know, a lot of people are reading a, a book by Michalowicz right now. And um, they're talking about taking a month off. And that's pretty cool. Um, but whatever your definition of how you get to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And you have passive income. That's where you roll over instead of, uh, you can roll over in bed or roll out of bed and still make money. So this is the goal, right? So how, this is what we want to talk about today. How do the staff play a role in helping you accomplish this? 
Um, I, I like to believe that you could actually do it in a year. I've seen it happen uh, in several cases. Howard Snader, uh, Todd Farmer, Andres Mayer just told me he's free. Um, and, and Andres maybe took a little longer than a year to get to the freedom part. Uh, Todd and Sam, maybe they're right there. Howard, uh, I think he definitely got free at 12 months, and I think he's complicated his life a little bit, so he may be not as free now as he wants to be, but he's growing his business. Um, so, you know, it really is a decision as to what you want to do and how fast you want to do it. Uh, so why should you listen to me? Well, um, as far as employees go, I've been doing this since I was uh, 18 years old. I, I had 20 independent contractors working for me when I was 19. Um, I, I hired, uh, when I became 25, I bought my first funeral home and um, I inherited my grandfather's employees who had an average age of, you know, 73. And, and, uh, and so I was 25, 24 and uh, they were working for me. And so I had to learn how to, to do this at a, at a very high level very quickly. Um, and then, you know, when I had the pet supply company, I had um, rotated through uh, hundreds of employees through the years and, or at least a hundred employees through the years. And then um, when I built the law firm, um, we went from two guys in a room to 18 employees in two and a half years. Um, and I promise you there was a lot of uh, uh, great hires in that, but there was a lot of fast hiring and, and mishires in that. Uh, and today um, I've got, um, well, I've got 12 team members. Some are full-time, some are part-time, some are uh, remote, um, some are local, uh, but I'm free, right? And and that's the key. Uh, Jamie Miller, when I started working with him, had eight, and now he has 30 plus. Bert Diener, 25, 50 plus. Howard Snader <laughs> had none like two and a half years ago and has 14 today. He's got David Stewart at eight. Now he's 25. Eric Hornbloom had, had none and then he had one and I think he's working on one and it's really changed his life. And I think that's a big point. You don't need a lot of employees to change your life. Like Howard Snader started with one and instantly changed his practice. Eric Hornbloom started with one and instantly changed his practice. And um, Bob Doig from back in the day started with one and instantly changed his practice. Um, Brent and Terry had two. I think it was just the two of them and, then, and they've gone up to four, maybe more. These numbers are ever-changing. Mike and Elisa from four to nine, and, and they're all on this path to freedom and crazy growth. And I could, I could go on. I mean, we've, I think we have 15 or 17 uh, applicants for attorney, entrepreneurial attorney of the year contest this year. And all of them have, you know, great hiring stories, some crazy hiring stories. Uh, um, I, I remember it was just Emily Smith Lee had said she came back from the show. She had brought her um, salesperson who, who replaced her in the consult room. And I guess the salesperson has broken all records in just this last month. So, I mean, these stories just go on and on. So why should you listen to me? Well, I've done this for a long time. I know how this works in a law firm specifically, and I've figured out a few formulas. Again, I'm going to go, I'm going to go fast. Okay. I am going to, it's just, there's no other way for me to cover what I want to cover today in a short period of time. I could have peeled it out over a longer period of time and, and maybe I will next year, but the truth of the matter is it's not the sexiest uh, topic. Everybody else wants to hear about marketing and lead generation, lead conversion and sales, and that's great. And But if you don't have a good team, uh, you can't do it. And if you're a team member on this call, uh, know that uh, if, you're, um, if you're my team member, know I adore you. Um, if you're our clients team members, know that um, I, I'm a champion of yours. Uh, I, I just believe that uh, the way that we hire, the way that we treat our team members, the the clarity that we give them and the things that we're going to talk about today are so important to, to find the thoroughbreds. And it's and it's harder in today's hiring environment. We're in a hiring environment at an unemployment rate of, you know, as low as it's ever been within the last, whatever, 20 or 30 years, maybe more. And um, it's a tough time to find good quality people. In many cases, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. But 
we'll talk about it. All right, so let's keep going. Um, so as always, I start the same way, and we're gonna that's gonna be no different today. Um, so it's time for you to momentarily set aside all disbelief and genuine distrust of all things too good to be true for today. Let's start with how can we make this work? So the premise is that I'm gonna say something to you that you're gonna be like, well, you don't seem to understand. My staff wouldn't do that, or you don't seem to understand. In my town, it's hard to find people, or you don't seem to understand. My practice area is different. I get it. I get it. I, get, I have heard it so many times, and every single time somebody who tells me that, who does what I tell them to do, nine times out of ten comes back to me and says, son of a gun, Richard James, you're right, and I can't stand that you're right, but you're right. I tell my kids all the time, is dad right all the time? They say, yeah, dad's right all the time. There are a few things I'm right about. My ECIB, my East Coast Italian bride will tell you 95% of the things I am not right about, but there are 5% of the things that I am right about like all the time. This is one of them. Okay, So when I'm on here in a webinar, I believe that I'm right about this more than I'm right about anything else. And this one I have proven. So let's stick with me. But I need you to kind of hold up your end of the bargain and come at this with a can-do attitude today, okay? And so what I want you to do is raise your right hand, repeat after me. I'm not going to unmute it because it gets all echoey. I'm just going to trust you're doing this. Don't. If, if people are looking at you, just let them look. It's okay. Repeat after me. Raise your right hand. My business is not different from yours. My business is not different from yours. I know I'm a consultant and I'm not a law firm, but I promise you my business isn't different from yours. I know that you're a family law firm and somebody else is a criminal firm. I know you're a B2B firm. You do business litigation and there's no way this could be the same as a guy who does personal injury. Trust me, these fundamental principles are the same. Okay, so just for today, put it aside and let's work towards how can we make this happen. All right, now that that's out of the way, Perfect Client Lifecycle is the basis for everything that I do. It's a, it is the core of all of my philosophies. And so today we're talking about this staff that are required to help generate more leads, help convert those leads into appointments, help increase the show rate from the appointments that set to actually show, help convince the people who show up to hire the firm, help convince the people who hire the firm to pay their bill in full, and help convince those that pay their bill in full to refer you business. That is the perfect client life cycle. It should be a circle in reality. It should be a circle because referrals are leads, um, but it's not. It's a flat line because it's easier to explain this way. Um, and so what we're going to be talking about today when it comes to staff is all of this. We're not going to be discriminatory in any way um, when it comes to the staff we're going to be talking about. I'm talking about it in general generalities. And yes, there will be some specific nuances in some specific um, staff situations that uh, are going to be a little bit different. And so if you think you have a specific nuance of a specific staff situation, at the end, ask it. And I'll answer it the best I can uh, based on the information that I have. But we're going to be addressing staff for the entire Perfect Client Lifecycle. Just make sure I saw my phone blowing up. I want to make sure that it's not something urgent about this call that my wife is texting me saying, nope, we're good to go. All right. Fantastic. All right, so let's keep moving forward. So why do we need a team, like, at all, right? So fundamentally, I have to set the basis. So if we know the perfect client lifecycle is where we're starting, why do we have to, why do we have, to have a team? So by the way, um, I see a few more people have come on. So just so you know, we're, we're on this call today, we're talking about how to hire a superstar employee that will set you free, whether it's your first employee or your 
50th employee, it doesn't matter. The formula is the same. If you don't have employees and you really don't think you want employees, don't hang up because it's really good for you to know this for when you do, but also know that you can still be free. It's not a prerequisite to be free to have employees. I know some great lawyer, John Fisher comes to mind, um, uh, not Jonathan Fisher, but John Fisher, high level PI, Med Mal guy. He's got one employer or had for a long time, just one employee to help make manage his world. But really he is about as free as it gets um, when it comes to running a keep it small, keep it all practice. And it's because uh, he's disciplined. He charges the right fees or goes after the right types of cases. And he has a, a, a set of rules for his freedom that he follows. But why do we need a team? So a couple of reasons we need a team. First, we need to implement marketing, right? So if you're going to take the things that we talk about around here on the island that we've created for entrepreneurial-minded attorneys, somebody's going to have to GSD this stuff. And if you're still being the lawyer, um, I'm not judging that, but if you're still the lawyer and you got to get the work done, um, if you have to stop to do marketing you know, for a long period of time, uh, you're going to be the bottleneck real quick. And so you know, there is a period of time in a practice, especially to get out of chaos, to get out of chaos. You have to make a living from nine to five and a fortune from five to nine. That is a pure reality of it. Um, you will have to put some late hours in uh, and beg for forgiveness from your family to get your way out of chaos. Uh, much like a rocket that leaves orbit, it has to use most of its energy to break free from orbit. Uh, and that's what it's like to break free from chaos. Um, but at some point, we need somebody else to help us implement the marketing, whether it's a full-time person, an office manager, a personal assistant, a, an outsourced third-party company that's going to help you implement the marketing. Um, you need to have them help you do that. Maybe it'll be vendors that are implementing it for you. But we need a team to accomplish that goal. Otherwise, we will stagnate because there will only be so much that you can do. And I speak about this, by the way, from somebody who loves to implement marketing myself. I'm, I have to force myself to give the work to other people. Um, set more appointments. So why do we need a team? Because if you're small and solo and you're not, you don't have people that are setting appointments besides you, you're answering the phone on your cell phone, um, what's happening is you're missing opportunity. Um, if you're not a small and solo and you've got team members and you don't have dedicated people setting appointments, making inbound, uh, fielding inbound calls and making outbound calls, uh, you're leaving money on the table. If, if you've got a high volume practice, like an immigration practice or a DUI practice or whatever, ticket practice, anything that does high volume and reasonably high dollar, um, and you've got more phone calls than you can manage, not having the right number of people on the phone is costing you a fortune. Most people, by the way, uh, come to me and say, you know, oh, I don't want to, that's more people, that's more headache, that's more um, overhead expense, and there's a stress to that. But if you want to grow, in most cases, in a law firm, uh, you're going to need to invest in the proper team. The system's there, but to expand the capacity, we're going to expand the team. And the one place I see that happening more often than not not is uh, places to set people to set the appointments. Uh, we're going to make sure that we have the people in place to ensure they show. Um, that requires usually a, some sort of manual labor. We can automate a lot of it too, but there is manual labor involved. We're going to make sure we micromanage the client experience. It's really hard to micromanage the client experience if we don't have the right amount of staff to do that. Um, and so, you, you know, you have to be able to have the people that can um, make sure that all the things we want to be happening to the client uh, as they experience your firm are happening. Um, and then 
most importantly, the reason I want a team after all this other stuff is done, right, is I want to replace the owner in the consult room because um, oftentimes the owner um, is in the way. Um, and there's a, if there's a role in a law firm that is probably done better than most times than any besides the, being the lawyer is the, the salesperson. Um, that, that salesperson role is the role that um, the, the owner does usually really well, but it's also the role that requires the most reactive attention. And it's the person that steals an owner. It's, a, it's the role that steals an, an owner's freedom more than anything else. Uh, first thing I replaced in, in every firm I've ever had, quite frankly, is the sales role. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're thinking that way because otherwise it's, you may love it and you can design it so that you can do it when you want to, but you need to be able to design it so that you can break free because if you've got a firm that's got staff and you've got overhead and you're this only person that can sell and you leave for a week or a month, um, like you, your business stops, right? Uh, or you limp along while somebody else does a horrible job at it. So replacing the owner in the consult room is final, uh, is vital. I, I would couple that with getting paid. I don't have that listed here, but having staff to get to get you paid is is vital. I just realized I didn't put that on this list, and, and I would say you have to have it. Managing the workflow. Look, uh, you got to have somebody managing the workflow. Whether you're a document kind of moving. A firm that has flat fees and you can use paralegals and legal assistants and outsource staff um, or your uh, high-end litigation or family law firm that needs really high-level attorneys and paralegals to do the hourly billing work. It doesn't matter. Somebody's got to manage the workflow. And so um, uh, the, the more of the higher level work you need, the more precise uh, of a hire that you need. Um, the more the, the document structure, system moving roles that you need, um, you can build your own in-house training. But it, funny enough, Phil Lemons uh, did say that you know he couldn't find good litigators for his practice area, uh, or he found people who said that they were great litigators, and then he, they came in and they, they actually weren't great litigators. They couldn't walk the walk. And so he was struggling to find them. And, and we talked about building uh, you know what I call Hamburger University. Uh, for litigation uh, people inside his practice. And he hired, I think, five attorneys in, in like four weeks. And he put them through what he considers to be his uh, Hamburger University. And he says it's working out great. Um, so that was fun. That's fun to watch. Uh, replace the owner as the attorney. Um, not all of you want to do this. And that's okay. Um, but if you ultimately want your freedom, you've got to replace yourself in every role in the company. Um, meaning, if you want your freedom, like with staff, if you, again, if you're keeping it small, keeping it all, and you're going to be your you're going to be the only guy or gal in the business and maybe have an assistant then then you're getting your freedom because you're developing rules charging the right fees and setting disciplines in place that you're going to keep but assuming you're going to have moving parts with staff and if you're going to ultimately be free you got to get away from having to be able to do the work uh, on a larger scale uh, or put yourself in a position that you could be the attorney on cases you want to be the attorney on and still be able to gain your freedom uh, so that's important so this is why we need a team. Okay, so um, what makes a superstar a superstar? So if you haven't heard me say this before, uh, a superstar, uh, so all employees, all employees, everybody uh, has to do like one of three things. Okay, so they, they either have to make the company money. So they either make the company money makes, I don't know if I, I typed that up. I don't think that a superstar makes the company money. Okay, great. I'll, I'll go with that. Makes the company money, right? So an employee makes the company money. So I, I don't want to hire somebody just for the sake of hiring somebody unless 
it's one of these other situations. So they maybe save the company money, right? So maybe um, the, the superstar saves the company money. So they figure out how to not spend money or you can uh, use synergies or uh, you can put them, make them virtual or whatever. You can save the company money by hiring an employee. Um, or you set the owner free, right? So, so the, the, this employee sets the owner free. Now a superstar, by definition, does all three of these. So a superstar employer, a thoroughbred employee, makes the company money, saves the company money, and sets the owner free. So let me frame this correctly for you, okay? Um, by the way, we'll probably go close to 60 minutes, maybe less, I don't know, it depends on how fast I go here. Um, and I'll answer as many questions as I can at the end. Um, but let me frame this for you. So when you talk about make money, okay, know that a couple of things. I'm talking about profit. So I believe the owner should be paid a market-based wage for what the work they do for the firm. And I believe that there should be profit in the business. And the profit in the business um, allows you to what? Maybe somebody can remember this. What does profit allow you to do in your law firm? Anybody can answer it for me in the chat. Go ahead if you know it. What does profit allow you to do in a law firm? Yeah. Serve more people. Help more people. That's the point, right? So if we come from the premise that we're the very best at what it is we do, and we come from the premise that nobody, they shouldn't hire anybody else but us if they're the right fit for our firm, then we shouldn't let them go anywhere else and we need to do everything we can to make sure they stay here. And so that means that if we have more profit, we can invest in better systems and better people and better marketing, that we can attract more people and we can serve more families. So profit is not a bad thing. Profit is a good thing. Now, employees make the company money, right? So I wanna be able to ask myself when I hire an employee, how will this role that I'm hiring make the company money? Will it create capacity so we can bring in more cases? Will it serve the clients better so that we can see our referral rate go up? Um, will it directly affect making more money because they'll set more appointments or they'll get more people to show up or they'll have a better uh, conversion rate in the consult room or they'll collect more money than we're currently collecting, right? So those are some pretty clear guidelines. The workflow staff, a little harder to see that, uh, but it is about capacity, moving people through the chain faster. If you're especially a contingency-based firm, if we can get the cases moving as fast as uh, the law and the, op and the opposition and the courts will allow uh, for, for us to move a case through and we can make money faster. How do they save the company money? Well, you know, one way they save the company money is being as efficient as humanly possible. Uh, so they're so they're not, uh, and, I, and I say this and it sounds terrible, but stealing from the company. You know, uh, when you have a team member who is, um, who's got a job to do and they come to work and they spend a good percentage of their time on social media and um, um, surfing the internet and chattering at the water cooler and just doing things that um, you know you're paying you're not paying them to do um, and they're not hitting their numbers and they're not maximizing the productivity you know within the realms we're not asking people to be you know we're not talking about being a a um, a slave driver to use a really lousy term and I, I mean that with no derogatory offense but uh, you know if if they're doing that, 
they're stealing from the company, they're stealing from the clients, they're stealing from everybody else around them, and that's what a donkey looks like, right? A donkey is somebody who doesn't care, doesn't want to grow, doesn't show up on time, screws off while they're there, has a victim mentality, complains about how little money they make, complains about how it is to show up on a Monday and wants to leave early every single Friday, and you know they break the core values of the company, and so there's just a uh, if they're if they're doing that, they're stealing from the company. So saving the company money really for every employee means that we're we're following all the things that we need to follow to make sure we're staying on path. Sometimes saving the company money is like a bookkeeper, and it's really to the bottom line. They're making sure that all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And you know, if you're a chapter. 13 or chapter of bankruptcy attorney of chapter 13 where you're making sure that the trustee is sending you the money all the time I can't tell you how many times attorney has said to me oh the trustee is always right but they never reconciled it and all of a sudden they find out the trustee made a bunch of mistakes um, or that we're getting paid the way we're supposed to get paid at a busy law firm there's a lot of payments going on all the time and reconciling that making sure the invoices is correct if you don't have somebody doing that full time you're likely not uh, receiving as much of the money that you're billing as you possibly should so saving the company money uh, a bookkeeper can really help you accomplish that. And making sure your expenses are in line and, and where your percentages are. Uh, there are some rules that can really help make sure that happens. Uh, so either make the company money or save the company money. A superstar does both. Sets the owner free. There are some rules like a personal assistant, an executive assistant, um, um, maybe an attorney that actually sets the owner free. And uh, you might be hard pressed to say how it makes the company money or saves the company money. But if the owner has an entrepreneurial mindset and they want to work on uh, things that make a difference in moving the needle in the business, then setting them free is likely the most valuable thing you could do for the business because we need a general to be the general. All right. So this is what, what makes a superstar employee. So let's talk about how to find them because this is like, this is like the secret, right? So the secret is that we find uh, desired superstar employees the same way we find desired clients. Marketing, okay? So that's the secret. And I think that law firms forget this, that especially in really, really difficult hiring times like we're in today. Now this works all the time, it arguably works easier uh, when we don't have uh, such a small amount of working pool to pull from. However, um, this definitely works. You need it now more than ever because you're competing with some people who are really savvy at looking for uh, good quality employees. And so you need to get your marketing right. And so here's a step-by-step -step system on how to do that. We're going to break into that now. So step-by-step, -step, let's talk about what we have to do. So first and foremost, we have to create our avatar. Now, this is where you want to take notes, okay? Because I'm going to do my best, and this is where things are going to speed up, incidentally. Let me grab a drink of water. Excuse me. So, brought to you by Nextiva. Oh, sorry. There's a free pun, Nextiva. Okay. Um, so, uh, when you create your avatar, this is what I mean. So, when you create your ideal client avatar, um, if you don't know who they are, so if you don't know who your ideal client is, um, you should go through and do a, a, a match of all the clients you've served to figure out gender, uh, age, uh, demographics, as far as what their earning potential is, where they live, 
um, psychographics, the sports they play, the books they read, and you can find all this information out. Um, the income they make. And so this could be kind of, you'll find out what the picture of your perfect client is. I've told this story before, but you know, there was a, uh, a, a dating service um, and uh, it, he was trying to figure out what his uh, right uh, client avatar is. And my mentor, Dan Kennedy, um, was telling him, uh, listen, you got to go back and look through your commonalities. He goes, ah, there's no commonalities. They're all over the board. And of course, Dan convinced him to pull the data. And when he pulled the data, he found out ironically that like 60% of his business, just shy of Pareto's law uh, of the 80-20 rule, was coming from one source, uh, long haul truckers, specifically Christian long haul truckers. Um, and so he found that his dating requests were coming from Christian long haul truckers. And as soon as he found that out, um, he, he started advertising, of course, in truck stops all across America. And his business just blew up because he was talking to his proper avatar. So that's marketing. In finding the right employee avatar, it's the same thing. So we all have, if you've never had employees before, this is a little bit more difficult because you don't know what you're looking for, um, which is why it's really important to talk to your peers about what they've done before. Um, uh, but if, you're, if you've had employees before, you know what a great employee looks like, right? Um, you know, my spouse, although she's like not really my employee because she's the owner of the firm, and she's, she's just a great employee. Her mother actually um, is, you know, Maria's mom is like one of the best employees I ever had in my life. So if I'm going to draw up, you know, the world's best employee, you know, um, Megan on my team would certainly come to mind. Um, I've, I've got lots and lots and lots of great employees and always have, but the people who check all the boxes, I sit down and I think, my gosh, what, what are the people who are the best employees I've ever had? And then I can sit down and I can say, okay, what makes a great employee great? You know, and for different roles, this will be a different answer for for an avatar will be a different answer for a different thing. So I'll have a different answer for a tier one appointment setter rep than I will for a tier two initial consultation employee. I'll have a different answer for a bookkeeper than I will for my business manager. Um, and so and, and while you can't discriminate um, when you're creating your avatar, you can. So you can think that you'd really like to hire a man or a woman for the role. I know that sounds terrible, but um, there are just some roles and some people that they you figured out you work better together with different genders. Um, there are some roles I just would never hire a man for. It's just that simple. Um, I figured it out over the years. Women just do a much better job. And I don't mean, you know, don't please don't call me out on it from a from a you know discrimination issue. That's not my point. My point is I figured it out, and hopefully you will too. You want to sit down and put down all the traits of the avatar you you want, right? You know, do they? If you have core values, you kind of start there. Do they fit all your core values? If you don't have core values, it's a whole other topic for a whole other time. But just sitting down and thinking to myself, well, I love that they show up on time. I I love that they come to to work with a smile. I love that they you know dress the part. I love how they interact with the clients. I I I love. And, and then, of course, you go to the other part and you go to all the employees you've had that, you, you know, that don't work out for you. And what what is it about them that has not worked? And, you know, I've worked with enough attorneys to know they're all different. Some of you are really, really picky about the way people write. Uh, and I get that. Uh, some of you really picky about the way they speak. Um, some of you are picky about the way they dress. Some of you are picky about their attitude. Um, the world is changing a little bit, but you still need to figure out what you don't want and create your avatar. 
if you don't start there, uh, even if you have 50 employees, if you don't start here every time you hire, if you don't have an avatar for every position, you put yourself at a real disadvantage. And we'll talk about that why in a second. So let's keep going. So you want to tell your story, right? So um, I'm going to kind of go in reverse here, but um, I'll come back to tell your story in a second. I, I feel like I should have um, did this in different order, but it's important you tell your story first, but you're going to do it this way. So you're going to create an ad that, that has hoops for them to jump through. So let's see if I can do this. Got a hyperlink. Hopefully it's going to uh, work. Yes. Can somebody, um, can somebody type in uh, that they see my screen right now with my ad on it? Somebody let me know. I want to make sure you see that. Can you see the, uh, Business to business appointments that are on. All right, cool. Uh, by the way, Amir, can a man be a good legal intake specialist? Legal intake specialist. You mean, uh, Amir, let's put that in the parking lot and I'll come back to it. But I, I, to clarify, when I answer it, the question I'll have for you is it a, do you mean a, an appointment setter, legal intake specialist, somebody who's going to set the appointment? Um, or is it me, or do you mean something else? So in this ad, I want to be able to tell my story, but I want to be able to write a really good ad and I use my avatar. So, I, you know, if I just, if I just point out some things like must have B2B phone appointment setting experience, right? Well, I know that my avatar has to have that. I, I, I'm going to want them to jump through this hoop of, of calling the phone number. I'd be an asterisk, asterisk it because people don't follow directions anymore. Um, I, are you looking for a place you can call home? You know, in, in the appointment center world, they're used to call center environments and they don't feel like a home and, and ours does. Do you, do you long to be away from the large machine of corporate America and, and, and long for a small office environment, right? To me, this is that I'm speaking to my avatar. I'm, I'm talking to that person who just is sick of that big machine of corporate America and the corporate you know, culture where somebody's listening to every single phone call they make, that big call center environment, the flexibility in your job schedule. So now I'm starting to talk to who? Talking to like moms, right? Because I can't say moms in the ad, but I really want a mom in the ad because moms, you know, and so I'm kind of talking to women because like it or not, this is the job I find that men don't do really well at for whatever reason. They just don't do that great. Uh, do you want to find a place who cares about you as much as you care about them? Look at the language, care and care. I'm talking to the motherly type of person. This ad was crafted with my client avatar in mind. And then could such a place exist? Because they don't think it does, right? And, and we think so. And then this is where I tell my story. And I, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but you know, you, you all, uh, and then, and then who you are, again, I'm talking to them. They've experienced this. They're great at their job. Their motto is, their motto is give me a list and get out of my way. Uh, you know, your way around the CRMs and this position is not for you. So I make sure I get the not in there, right? You don't have experience. You don't like your efforts being measured. You don't like being a team player. You tend to whine or complain a lot. You don't like unperfect, sometimes messy world of small business. And here's who we are, right? And if you want to find more about us, but then you've got to do this thing if you want to be considered, right? You've got to do this thing. Uh, and if they don't do that thing, I don't, I don't even consider them. So we, we get a lot of people who don't do that thing. They reply. And I bet you if I read their resumes, it would feel great. But I, I don't even read their resumes because they didn't do what I told them to do. Um, but, you know, this is – I go the extra mile in telling my story. I want to go back to that. Let's see. So if you tell your story um, – let's see if I can't um, 
let you hear it. I'm going to do it really, really, really quickly if I can. Uh, system sounds. Let's see if I can make this work. And if I can't, um, we will show disabled devices. Yeah, that's not going to work. We're not going to do that. We're not going to worry about sound. So if you want to hear this, go to therichardjames.com. Um, forward, don't do it now, but go to forward slash careers, richardjames.com forward slash careers, the richardjames.com forward slash careers. Did I do that right? Yep. Nope. One too many hours. There it is. Careers. Spell careers right and I'll get there. You get here and you can watch my video. It's nine minutes. We're not going to play this video. Okay. Um, but if you, you see, what you'll see is I'm telling my story. Um, I come right out and say I'm a Christian businessman. So I can't say that I hire Christian. I can't do that in ads, right? But I can just tell them who I am and repel those who don't want to work with me. Uh, this has been the single most important thing I've ever done in my hiring process. Uh, one of the last hires we, we brought on, Jan, um, she, you know, watched, she went through the ad, it attracted, she was attracted to the ad. Um, she watched the video and she was like, yeah, I get it. I want to be there. You know, I, I say, uh, I say prayer, opening prayer on Monday morning meetings and you got to be okay with that. You don't have to be Christian. I just got to be okay with that. And so I want them to know it. Now I do a lot of other things inside of this and talking about core values and measurements and the way we do things in order to repel the many. Uh, this is one of the most important things I've done to attract thoroughbreds and repel donkeys. Um, it's huge. And it and don't, like, you see there's a mic, there's a lavalier mic, it's not super expensive. It's a, like a really inexpensive camera. Um, I didn't have a professional film crew come and do this. I just knew I needed to do it. I needed to get it done quick. I put a camera on a tripod and off I went. This is not, super sexy and I just moved the camera and did my own editing and I think I had Damon put it together for me so it looked uh, pretty. Um, and so this is a big boy tip here if you want to track the right thoroughbreds. All right, um, so then the next thing you want to do is give them a test. Uh, this is the other thing I'll tell you that is really important that you do um, and, and a lot of people poo-poo it because it's kind of like reading tea leaves but um, there's personality tests out there and there's lots of them. I, I use uh, Jay at Real Talent Hiring. Um, he's not cheap, but um, he does the test and then he personally uh, interprets the test. And I'll tell you, I get the results from the tests that I give the team members. And, um, and when I get the results, I look at them and I have no idea what I'm looking at. And then Jay will get on and he'll say, you know, here's the reason why uh, you do or don't want to hire this person. I've had him tell me that people were addicts and I didn't believe him and then they were. Um, I've had them tell me things that people were going to do and, you know, they I didn't believe them and they did like steal and, and um, you know, be irresponsible. And I, I was kind of like on the fence. So once you do this, and so and I, by the way, made the wrong decision. So I have disobeyed Jay's advice in the past. I don't do that anymore. Uh, but giving them a test is another way to keep the donkeys out and to attract the thoroughbreds. So the way you're attracting the thoroughbreds is you're writing to the avatar you want, telling your story and create an ad that they have to jump through hoops. The thoroughbreds don't mind. Um, and, uh, and also, I would say this, well, we'll talk about it in the pro tips later. 
give them give them a test. Uh, make sure you give them that test of a personality test. I don't care which one you use. Uh, I do recommend Jay. I don't, I'm not paid by Jay to say that. I don't get a referral fee, uh, but I but I do Jay Henderson at uh, Real Talent Hiring. That's who I use. Uh, go with your gut. Now, at the end of the day, after, not before, after you've done all of these things, right? Yeah, you need to interview them, right? We missed the whole part about interviewing them. Yes, you have to interview them. I mean, it kind of goes without being said. You don't, you don't find thoroughbreds and repel donkeys through an interview process. You, you kind of like further whittle down the, the batch a little bit. But I don't believe the interview process. I've tried all sorts of styles of interview. I've read every book. And interviewing, um, I just I just don't feel like in a small business like mine, I don't have, especially in some of the roles, I don't have months to try to hire somebody oftentimes. I know like Dave Ramsey takes up to six months to hire somebody. It's almost like getting a job with the FBI. Um, I don't have that luxury right now. And I know people will tell me that I should have that luxury. But at the end of the day, um, I, I, interviewing is important and you should do it. And I, and I, and I run, when I get them to the point where they, where they jump through the hoops for me, I, I do, uh, do a quick phone interview. And if I still like what they have to say, I will bring them in for an interview. Uh, but I got to tell you, and, and this is the big thing I'll tell you when you create your proper avatar and you tell your story and you create the right ad with the right hoops, you will reduce the number of people that come to you. So oftentimes when I run an ad, I might not get but two or three applicants that do it the right way. And so those two or three applicants have kind of gone through the gauntlet. So the interviewing process isn't a really big deal. I mean, yeah, I, I got to meet them. I got to see that, they, that you know, they're not sitting there with their belly hanging out of their short, short shirt, a finger up their nose, picking a booger and talking, you know, like a dummy. I got to figure that out, right? But at the end of the day, that probably isn't the case because I did such a good job with my avatar and telling my story. So uh, you got to give them, you got to go with your gut at the end. After the end, if you've got two left, you got to go with your gut. Um, you know, in, in biblical, it's, it's called casting lots. Um, uh, Napoleon Hill would tell you, do not flip a coin, go with your gut. Uh, that's what he uh, believes in. And I, I think he's right. And you'll usually find yourself more right than not. If you go to prayer, go to prayer. If you don't, uh, whatever works for you. Okay, so that's the step by step inside of uh, finding and refining the thoroughbred and repelling the donkey. Um, so now once we have them, how do we keep them? This is going to be more for those of you that have staff, but um, for those of you who are, uh, who are attracting staff, it's really important you know this because there's nothing worse than going through all the effort and aggravation. And they estimate that it's like, I don't know, $7,500 to hire a team member. And, and these days it's more, probably more than that. And if you pay a temp company to help you find them, I guarantee it's more than that. Um, and so you may pay ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars by the time you paid to market and find an effort and all that stuff, and then bring them on and onboard them, do all this stuff to get them up to speed, and then you lose them. Boy, that stinks. You know what I mean? That just stinks. Um, so uh, first of all, you want to be clear. And what do I mean by that? Well, uh, you need a job description. So you, you just need for them to know what it is that they are supposed to do, right? So you need to tell them what it is that they, they should expect in both their strategic, what the position is and what their strategic work is and what their tactical work is and what competencies we want them to have and what responsibilities we want them to have and so on and so forth. And it's just, for me, essential that this 
exists and and these documents exist and if you're in uh, your practice mastered program or any of our programs in that level or above you have access to all these forms um, but it's just so important that you have a clear written job description be clear uh, be clear what your expectations are be clear how you're going to measure them be clear when you're measuring them or what whether they're doing it right or doing it wrong make sure that they're being measured on a daily weekly monthly basis make sure they're reporting and you're inspecting um, what you inspect by report you remember in my grandfather always said there's three things that are happening in a business there's what the owner wants to be happening there's what the owner thinks is happening and there's what's actually happening that happens to my grandfather because he wasn't real clear uh, so you need to be clear. The more clear you are, the better off you will be. Uh, pay a fair market-based wage. Uh, the day of getting away with paying people less than they're worth, um, you only get away with that for so long. And if you if you uh, try to pay people less than they're worth, they will eventually leave you. They may come to you, but in today's day and age, with the unemployment rate the way that it is, it, you, you probably won't even get anybody. Um, but but uh, you know as things soften up and you watch this 10 years from now because this webinar will be relevant 10 years from now if you're in a environment where you know the unemployment rate is seven and a half or eight nine percent and and god forbid uh and you're you know you've got more applicants and you know what to do with it doesn't matter that you can pay them less you need to pay them a fair market-based wage even if you scale them up to it so that they can get there or earn that um uh if you pay them too much on the other side. So if you overpay your staff, and that's the real danger right now is we're overpaying people. Uh, when the employment rate's really high, what happens is you underpay people who have, they're way overqualified for your job and then they leave. When you overpay people um, for a job, uh, then you create an environment where one, you won't be able to sustain and you won't be able to grow and you'll end up getting your PL upside down, which means your uh, salaries to gross revenues requirement will be upside down. It should be between 35% at the low and 45% at the high, and that's taxes, um, and that's uh, 401ks and insurance benefits all in. And if you're north of that 45%, your profitability is affected, which means your ability to help more people and serve more clients is affected, and eventually you're gonna have to uh, probably invite that superstar to be a superstar somewhere else, especially if they are a superstar. And that's really sad because uh, they're affecting your ability to, to grow your firm. So overpaying is not good either. I, I met a guy uh, once, particularly an attorney who paid his associates $250,000 a year, you know, two, two three-year associates, paying them $250,000 a year because he paid him a percentage of the contingency fee that came in. And he was doing all the labor, he was doing all the marketing, he had all the assistance, everything. All he had to do was be the lawyer. He's basically paying them to be his bar card and negotiate, be good negotiators. And he had two or three year old associates that were making that much money. And, and, and that guy uh, unfortunately went the wrong direction. And he wouldn't listen to anybody that was telling him otherwise. He just believed that that's the way it should be. So pay him a fair market-based wage. Uh, that goes both ways, not too much, not too little. Uh, stop asking a cat to be a dog. All right. If there's any section in this that I'm going to cover quickly, it's this one. And this is the part I just, here's, I, I, it's complicated, but I need you to get this, okay? If you've got a team, if you've got a team and you, and you have your job descriptions and you're paying a fair market-based wage, what I find happens a lot is they've got the wrong people in the wrong jobs. They've got the wrong, they've got, they've got they're asking a cat to be a dog. They're putting a square peg in a round hole, whatever, right? You get my analogies. It's so important you run through this exercise. Now, if you're in my world, you already have access to this, you can use this. If you're not in my world, just let me keep it simple for you, okay? So 
here's what you want to do. You just want to you want to create an environment where they do a couple of things, right? So they list all their jobs. In this example, they had 39 things that they did. So this team member had 39 things that they did. And what we're doing is we're taking an assessment of everything that that team member does. So their job is to create this. Your job is not to create this. Their job is to create this. They create this document that lists everything that they do, all of their jobs. And then they need to rank those jobs in a couple of things. Like um, they need to identify how much time they spend on each job, how much they like doing each job, and what they think makes the company money. Those are the most three important things. There's more stuff to this that we can talk about, but we're not gonna have time and we're not gonna be able to spend a bunch of time on it. But you wanna, they wanna identify which one they spend the most time doing, which one they believe in their opinion makes the company money, and, and which one that they like to do the least, right? So watch this, let's look at an example here. So you've got uh, this one, that uh, this is the go-to person for problem solving within the office, right? This is the one that they spend the most of the time doing, but they believe it makes the company the least amount of money. They're probably right, right? Uh, this one right here, where is it? They think that this one confirmed the initial consultation the day before, by the way, this is from an actual client. I didn't make this up because uh, I use this. If I ever do audits, I do them very rarely anymore. But if I do full day audits for firms where they pay me a god awful amount of money to come in, I do this with all their staff and I and, and I we meet with them. But um, they believe that this makes the company the most money. Confirm initial consultations the day before the appointment. So increase the show rate. And of the what they do, they think it makes the most money. But but they like doing it like almost the least. Like not all the way the least, but it's really midway in between what they like doing. And they spend sometimes the least amount of time doing it. Now that, that might be the case because they don't have a lot of them, um, but really I've got a cat being a dog, right? They don't want to do this job, but they do it. How well are they going to do a job they don't like? Folks, if you've got the wrong person in the wrong seat doing the wrong job, your life is going to, it's your law firm is just going to be in trouble. They, they can't, you, you've got to have the right people in the right seat. But how can you possibly do that if you don't take time to measure it? Listen, when we're growing a business as fast as we're growing it, we're oftentimes just telling people to do stuff that we need them to get done because the job gets done. And I get that. But at some point, we have to be able to take stock of what we're doing. I almost argue we should do this like annually. Just stop and take stock of what we're doing. Now, I run a pretty clean ship. Most of my team members only kind of do one thing. I have a couple of them that do more than one thing and I've run this experiment on them and I found that they're doing things they don't like to do a whole bunch. And so we have to figure out what to do. Sometimes we act on it and sometimes we don't. It depends on the level of uh, criticalness of that particular role. But there are sometimes you've got staff that are doing things that are really important to the perfect client life cycle, really important to your overall profitability, making the company money, saving the company money, or setting you free, and they absolutely hate doing it. Why would we ask people to do something that they hate doing? Look, there's a few questions I start with all the time whenever I'm going to train staff members, right? First of all, do you like your job? We do it eight hours a day, please say yes. If you say no, we gotta stop the presses and get to the bottom of it. If you don't like your job, let's figure that out first. Is it the company's fault? Because they have you doing a bunch of stuff you shouldn't be doing? Or, or, or do you just pick the wrong career and you're thinking about moving on? 
or or is it a money thing? So that's the second question. Do you think you're paid a fair market-based wage? That's what I want to start with. I want to start with, do you like your job? And do you believe you're paid a fair market-based wage? You know, a lot of times the, the person won't answer that question honestly. You've got to really drag it out of them. And then it's about mastery, right? So how do we help them become really good? Because once you are paid well for a job that you like to do, and you're paid fair for a job that you like to do, now you just want to get good at it. Thoroughbreds want to constantly improve. And once they figure out how to run the systems that run their area, they don't want anybody messing with it, right? Because it's just going to screw things up. So you got to make sure that you got the right person doing the right job, all right? Again, I said I was going to have to cover this quick. So let's talk about pro tips. Um, hire remote staff. Here's why. Even if you don't need a remote staff, hire one remote staff just as a virtual assistant. And, and, and here's why. Because if you take the time to do this and you plan out what they're going to do, how often they're going to do it, what days of the week they're going to do it on or days of the month, and how many hours it's going to take them, it's going to force you to sit down and think about the tasks in this methodology, which helps you clearly, more clearly identify the roles. The best thing I ever did was hire a virtual employee. It made me think about my business and my staff in a much different way. And I learned this late in my career. You want a pro tip, hire a virtual staff just so you can figure out how to better manage the existing staff that you have. Uh, the next pro tip I would tell you is they say fire fast. Yeah, fire fast or reposition, right? So sometimes you have the wrong person in the wrong job. And they don't need to be fired. They just need to be put in the right job. Sometimes you've made bad hires and there's nothing more damaging to your law firm than a bad hire who is a cancer in the law firm for you and them. And it's caught, they are causing problems. Um, nothing ever good comes of it, no matter how hard it is for you to do. And no matter how good of friends they are with your family, um, no matter whether they're your mother, your brother, your sister, your cousin, and yes, I have had to do this with all of them, um, you need to let them go. And you don't let them go in a negative way with bad feelings, although they're very rarely are good feelings. You need to do it quickly. So if you make a mistake and you make a bad hire, you got to find out quickly. Uh, by the way, in, in a phone rep position, an appointment rep position, uh, I can find out, you, you should be able to find that out within the first seven days. First seven days, you know if you got the wrong hire. A lawyer is going to take you longer. Paralegal is going to take you longer. Um, but bookkeepers, you can find out really fast. But you want to put a position system in place so you find out quickly if you've got the right guy or gal. Uh, it's so important that you do that. All right, I'm at 60 minutes. Let's see if I can get to questions, and I'll stick around here for a little bit. So first one I saw come through was Amir, and I asked you, Amir, if you could tell me, um, did you mean um, intake specialist? Um, and I guess, yeah, so I guess as I see that, that was a private question. Sorry, Amir. But, um, yeah, I think that, um, they can be. So if it's a, if it's a, um, if it's a man in a setting appointments, I've, I've seen it, I've seen them do it, but I just, there's just something about the caring of a woman, uh, of a mom that they bring to the position, both in my world and in a law firm, 
um, that I've just experienced and be able to do a better job. It's not because of some physiological thing or brain thing. It's just that there's a, there's a level of empathy that women bring to the table that it's, it's tough for a man to do. And I know we're not supposed to discriminate and I'm probably gonna get in trouble by Emily and my wife's probably having a conniption right now because I'm saying this stuff out loud. But listen, it just, I just find it to be true. Um, so uh, anyway, let's see, one new message. So yes, my wife is telling me to be careful. Yes, honey, I get it. Um, what do you think about paying attorneys on commission base? Yeah, 10% extra any converted console, 20% for completion of collected fees for different stages of case. Stage has five stages, associate gets 20. Uh, if revenue goes down, expenses go down, it's hard for attorneys to accept, I know. Uh, implement it well, a few attorneys that make more than, yeah. Okay, so uh, Tamika, I like uh, the idea of uh, revenue-based, percentage-based compensation. Um, I, would, I would suggest you simplify it uh, for two reasons. One, because anything that's complicated for people to understand, they shy away from. Two, um, it is really hard to manage uh, as an employer uh, to manage really complicated systems. Uh, I just went through an iteration where I went through a more complicated one last year for my reps and it was messy and I don't recommend it. Um, now, it's harder to uh, build uh, commission-based structures for flat fee firms uh, you can do it if you've got stages, but there's always that question of how much did the attorney do as compared to the paralegal and so on and so forth. It's a lot easier to do on uh, straight legal fee based like hourly billing firms. Um, so family law firms, criminal firms, they can get away with it. High end litigation firms, they can get away with it a lot easier to build a uh, commission based structure. And I, and I think it's an excellent model. And so uh, to answer a question you might have, it's usually between 27 and 33%, depending on the competitiveness of your market, is where you'll land of dollars received. Uh, and yes, there is some fluctuation in earnings, but oftentimes their earnings go up. Um, the other caution I would give you, if you're considering putting um, a um, percentage-based compensation in place for attorneys, uh, just know that the attorneys that you already have, they're liable to fight that, not because it's wrong, but because they're not used to it. So you, you'll likely go through an iteration of hiring because you'll have to find attorneys who are willing to play by the new rules. Um, that's just usually part of the game. Sometimes it works. Um, and, and sometimes when it works, the way that it works is you have to scale it out over time. So if you can develop a system that works on a, on a commission-based structure, whether it be hourly billing or flat fee with stages, um, you, you will oftentimes have to carry them. So you have to say, okay, we're starting this like September one, but we're gonna keep paying you your base. I'm gonna guarantee your base for nine months. Uh, and we're gonna hopefully fully transition you over to the commission-based role by nine months, in which case you'll be making, you know, at the same money or more uh, and predominantly more. And the reason why you do this, by the way, is because they will be more productive. They will have to be an incentive-based plan. There are books written by people like Daniel Pink who say that in creative-based roles, this is not a good idea. Um, and attorneys, oftentimes, especially in litigation, they're creative-based roles. Um, and I've, I've seen law firms that struggle with this at times for that reason. Um, but uh, I've also seen it do away with a lot of the problems of 
you know, Sally's making $110,000 and Billy's making $110,000 as an attorney. They're both, you know, five plus year experienced attorneys in litigation and they do a great job. Uh, but Sally bills out, you know, uh, 1,100 hours a year and Billy bills out 900 hours a year. And so, you know, we got a problem, right? And so how do you get the one to equal the other without the constant whip at their back? And so that percentage-based compensation does do away with that. Hope that answers your question. Let's see. We recently had to let a donkey go. Yeah. It turns out using communication programs like Slack that have private features can hide toxic complaining and the like. What tips do you have for encouraging staff to check out? Okay, so what tips do you have for encouraging staff to check out issues? Yeah, so small firms. So what I did in is when the firm was small was I would run no, kneecap to kneecap. So first of all, I, I don't hate anything. I hate like Slack and chat things because as a entrepreneur who is all about my freedom, um, there's nothing that steals my freedom more than these things that constantly ding. Um, and so I, I hate them. Um, I understand why staff like them, but I don't like staff to have access to pick my brain at their leisure, um, not because I'm trying to be mean, but I, I'm trying to hire staff that can think for themselves. And if they do need to talk to me, which oftentimes they do, I try to do it on a schedule. Now, my staff are great. They, they really don't bother me all that much. And I answer my emails typically at nine in the morning at three in the afternoon. So I'll, I'll cover those questions. But so as an aside, I don't really like Slack. Here's the way I did it um, back in the day. Um, by the way, I know people who use Slack and love it. So this is a personal preference for me. Um, but uh, I'm not a fence setter. I, I hate it. So I won't ever have it. I'll never use it. Um, uh, the way I did it when the firm was smaller was I had kneecap to kneecap meetings. So these are meetings when I would come around the desk and I wouldn't sit across from the desk and you know, those two chairs that are sitting in front of the desk, I would, I would come from around the desk and I would, sorry, I would, uh, I'm probably late for an appointment. Yeah. Something like that. I would come around for a desk from the desk and I would, um, actually, uh, meet with them kneecap to kneecap, and they would be able to bring me any challenge that they have uh, right then and there. And there was not a cone of, cone of silence. They couldn't just tell me about stuff that I wasn't going to act on, but they could complain in that environment so that they didn't do it on a daily or weekly basis. That's my answer. That's how I dealt with that. How do we pay percentage structure but not pay too much? Is it a range? Okay, I think I covered that, Katanga. Um, Maria says weekly Monday meetings. Yeah, so my wife tells you that the weekly Monday meetings are the most important thing that we do. Um, the weekly Monday meetings that we run every single week is the most important thing that we do to get, to keep everybody on the same page. So we have a weekly Monday meeting at 10 o'clock every Monday. It never doesn't happen. Even if we're not there, it happens with the staff by themselves. They don't complain, but they, they can. Um, but we've been, we've gotten so far ahead of it that those complaints typically don't happen and we hire the right people. Um, but I would tell you the private one-on-one -on -one meetings with my direct reports was what really killed that complaining. And I created an environment where then they would do that with their direct reports. Um, and it made all the difference in the world. All right. I'm out of time. I think I am late for my call. And so I'm going to have to get off the phone. Um, where should you advertise? Okay, JG. Uh, I use Indeed. I use Craigslist. And I use um, ZipRecruiter currently. Uh, if you're watching this 10 years from now, I don't know what 
you should use. But uh, now I use Craigslist, uh, Indeed, and ZipRecorder. I, I would say advertise anywhere there's a modem, uh, a um, vehicle, a media for you to advertise. Don't discriminate. Um, and just know that if you use Indeed, there's a lot of auto populate. And so just make sure uh, you know that you're going to have to do a little bit more work in Indeed than you do on Craigslist. Like you're going to have to follow up with them and say, hey, by the way, you're going to need to call me to, or jump through this hoop. Because what happens is they've trained them to just hit a button and they don't really read the ad all the way through. And that's not their fault as much as it's Indeed's and the software's fault. So my warning there. All right, everybody, I hope this was helpful. Uh, again, I buzzed through this topic, uh, you know, 50, uh, 60, 70 minutes on this topic is nothing. So if you have any follow-up questions, you can always email me at richard at therichardjames.com. I hope you found this helpful for you hiring the staff that will set you free. We'll talk to you again next month.